Hello, and welcome to episode 15 of the Goodbye July podcast. I thought to commemorate what feels like a milestone, 15 feels like a milestone to me, I wanted to do a special episode today to essentially introduce myself. I haven't done that yet. So before we get too far down this road, let me officially introduce myself. I want to share with you my story, kind of where I came from, my big financial milestones, what I did, and I want to share more about the namesake of this podcast. I haven't shared that yet. How did the Goodbye July podcast get its name? So I'll be sharing all of that plus steps on how you can get started as well. So let's dive in. Hey, my name is Jessica Tolar, and I'm obsessed with all things passive income, productivity, entrepreneurship, and building a life where you make the rules. I'm a normal girl who took a free money class, asked a corporate executive how she retired early, and used that knowledge to build a seven-figure net worth, quit my nine-to-five, and now run an online business from countries around the world. I teach you the simple but effective secrets to building a life you adore. Think I'm special? No way. If I did it, so can you. Money, mindset, life hacks, hardship, growth, and planning are all topics we discuss here. Think of this as a weekly coffee date with a close girlfriend where you talk about the finance and business knowledge it'll take to make your dreams a reality. So take a seat, get comfortable, and prepare to be challenged and cheered on while you learn. This is the Goodbye July Podcast. This year is all about self-care, reprioritizing ourselves and our well-being in our own lives and taking back control of our time in order to make space for the things that feel good to us. I hope your financial self-care makes your list, and that's why I'll be hosting a free one-hour wealth workshop. Join me as we walk through three secrets to building lasting wealth, plus the single most important step to cracking the financial code. I could say I'm too busy with other things, or I could make space for this in my schedule. And this year, I'll be doing both. I will prioritize myself as well as my other commitments. I hope you'll do the same by joining me for one hour of financial self-care. Learn more at jessicatoller.com slash free workshop. Okay, let's get back to today's episode. All right. If you are listening to this, you probably know in general that I'm Jess. And I'm honestly just a regular girl who is, has become obsessed with financial independence. And basically I took a money class. I cornered a corporate executive to ask her how she was retiring early. And then I used insights from both of those experiences to create financial freedom. Like that is the short version of my story. But since then I... I I really did. I created the financial freedom at age 30. I took a leap of faith and I left my corporate job to pursue self-employment, full-time entrepreneurship. Now I have the privilege of teaching other people how to create the financial freedom in their own lives. But really, I want to dig into what happened between, I guess, before those two turning points in my story, what happened before, what happened during, and what happened after. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So essentially... Here's how it started, okay? I'm originally from Austin, Texas, and I grew up in middle-class America. This was long before Austin became a tech hub for the states, but it did have a fast-growing housing market. My mom was an accountant, and my dad built houses, which is actually why my parents relocated to Austin, because they were originally from a small town in Missouri. So they relocated to Austin in the 1980s because the housing market was growing fast. 
Fast forward to 2008, I was graduating high school and I was doing so just in time for the financial crisis. So I wrote several scholarship essays and I received valuable financial aid as I entered my first year of college. The next thing I did is I proceeded to blow through all of it. At the like looking back on that, you know, having a couple thousand dollars in my bank account now does not seem like a big deal. But at the time, it was more money than I had ever seen. And I did not know what to do with that. So I offered to buy my friends lunch. I offered to buy them dinner. I partied like a lot. And I blew through literally all of my financial aid. I mean, thousands of dollars, right? Thousands. So when my mom, again, my mom, the accountant, when she found out, she, and I'll never forget this, she held an intervention of sorts. We still joke about it, but it was like this come to Jesus meeting where we had to sit down and it was embarrassing and I cried a lot. There's like a lot of tears and like snot and hurt pride all on my part, of course. But I left that little meeting with a shiny new budget and a newfound understanding of what living within your means meant. So yeah, at the time I sucked at money. I, because I blew through all my financial aid, I then had to work three different jobs while balancing school to pay for my living expenses. So I had an internship and I was a lifeguard at the university gym. So I'd do it super early in the morning, like six in the morning before class, I would go to the gym. I would lifeguard, try not to fall asleep on the stand and then go to class on like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I would go to my internship after school. And then, uh, I think during the holiday season, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I worked at um, Bath and Body Works. I'll never forget the smell of that place. (laughs) So once I finally made it through college, I essentially picked the employer that offered me the highest salary. And I ended up relocating to Dallas because that's where that employer was based. So I I really didn't want to move to Dallas. I loved Austin. I wanted to stay there. But to me at the time, I really was just following the money, which I'll talk about in a little while. So at this point, I'm now working my first corporate job, my first like big girl job out of college, and I'm making what was a good salary, at least for me, right? It was the highest offer I received. So I felt like, you know, I have the salary thing figured out. I got this 401k, which everyone says is what you need to have. Um, I was literally putting as much as I could into my 401k. So I thought I was doing good by doing that. I was putting, I think, 14% of my paycheck I was putting into my 401k, my retirement account. And, you know, at the time I felt truly happy because I was watching the magic of investing happen at the first time. So I still have my very first retirement saving statement that I got from my first employer uh, that details the numbers in my 401k. So it shows how much money I put in, how much money my employer put in because they had a company match, which is where they would match every dollar that I put in up to a certain percent. And then I have the total, which is the change in the market value, which is, you know, the way I look at it, kind of like free money, because all I have to do is put my money in there, almost like a savings account, and then I just get back a whole lot more money. So that, to me, was my first experience with investing, and I was really intrigued by it. But I didn't know there were other kinds of investing. I thought, you know, there was only this 401k thing, right? So I was putting as much money as I could into my 401k. Now, let me talk about the turning point, because... While I think investing is powerful, and if you have a 401k, I I have opinions about what makes sense to do and what makes sense not to do. And this is how I learned. 
that, or this is how I formulated my opinion. Okay. This is the, the turning point for me. So one weekend, a group of friends, we decided to caravan down to Matagorda, Texas, which is a little town near, I think it's near Houston. It's a coastal town in Texas. And we were going to go hang out at our friend's bay house. And I offered to drive my car. So after hours on the road, we were finally only a few miles from our destination. And that is when a large buck ran into the road and I plowed into it at 60 miles an hour. So that poor animal, like we never actually found the deer and it's something that still bothers me to this day. But luckily everyone in my car was okay. And once we kind of got out and the shock wore off, I realized that my car was not drivable. Okay. So we had to have it towed. Luckily, like I said, we were caravanning. There were other cars. We were able to like squish into those cars. We went about our weekend and tried to have as good of a time as we could, despite the fact that we all had this like really traumatic experience in the dark on this like back road in Texas, um, where my car had to be left essentially. So Sunday night, we all leave Matagorda. We drive back to Dallas and get ready for work on Monday. But my car had to stay in Matagorda to be fixed because it wasn't drivable. And I got the phone call that told me how much it was going to be to fix my car. And when I did, I had like my first full-fledged panic attack because basically because I was putting so much money into my 401k, which if you're not familiar, you can't access your 401k until you're about 60 years old unless you want to pay a huge fine. So I was putting so much money in my 401k. I did not have much money in my bank account to deal with stuff like this. I only kept pretty much the amount I needed to pay my bills, like my, uh, my rent, my, all my bills, my gas for my car, whatever. So it was really easy for me to see that after fixing my car, I was going to have like a hundred dollars in my bank account. And that made me freak out. I remember crying in a manager's office. (laughs) And just, it was like a really low moment for me. Okay. I I could not understand how this was happening. I thought, you know, I'm making this good salary. I'm, I'm investing like through my 401k. Like, how is it that I can't even afford to fix something as critical as the car that I use to get to my job? Like this did not seem fair. I thought I was doing money right. Okay. I racked my mental checklist. I remembered the awkward intervention with mom, learning how to budget and living within my means and saving money. I worked really hard to found, find this well-paying job. And like I said, I was like pouring money in my 401k. I, don't, I did not understand how I did not feel more free. I didn't feel the freedom that people promised. I just felt panic, okay? But then because of this traumatizing experience, things finally started to change. So once I got my car back, I signed up for a free financial workshop that my employer offered. So every day for a week after work, I went to this class at the time it was given by MetLife. It was called RetireWise. And I literally still have the folder that they gave me um, like over a decade ago. Okay. I have it and I I look at it often. It really changed my life. I'll, I'll never get rid of that. But the entire class was about things that you can do in your life today to help you work toward a comfortable retirement, okay? Savings, investing, tax strategy, emergency fund, diversification. And I realized that by putting all of my savings into my 401k, which like I said, I can't touch for decades, I was limiting myself. I was not diversifying well. And that is why I had so little left in my bank account to deal with things like a car emergency. 
Now, the second catalyst in my story is something that actually happened right around the same time. So soon after this class, there was an executive at work named Melanie who announced her early retirement. She was only 50 years old. And generally, like at this time, people weren't really retiring until like 65 or so. So that's 15 years early. That's that's a big deal. So I was thinking to myself, you know, oh, I thought you had to be like 65 to retire. So this confused me. So what I ended up doing is I set up time with her, put a meeting on her calendar and honestly just asked her, can you tell me how you're retiring early? You know, sometimes you just have to ask. So she gave me some invaluable advice that I documented in a blog post. I'll I'll link to it in this episode. But one of the biggest realizations that I had from this conversation is that retirement is not in age. You can do it whenever you want. All it means is you don't have to work anymore to pay for your life. So, you know, I felt like I just discovered fire, like my entire perspective changed. And from then on, based on her advice and the different tactics I'd learned in that free money workshop, I started looking for assets in which to invest my money. So we'll talk about that. But basically, this means things where I could put a certain amount of money and without me having to do much, much or like without me having to exchange time, moments of my life to collect money, they would give me usually more money than I put in. Okay. So that's the, that's the high level story. All right. So since then, here's kind of a rundown of what's happened since then. Okay. That was in, uh, I believe 2012. So what I ended up doing is I, I continued investing in my 401k, but only as much as my employer would match. So that, that is my personal strategy because I would rather have money that Um, I can at least have access to now if I need it, but because my employer offered a match, I didn't want to leave money on the table by not contributing at least as much as their match. And I think a 401k is always a good idea if you, if you have, if you have the option to have it, it's, you know, especially if you are someone like me at the time who didn't have a lot of self-control, it's a good place to put your money so that you don't touch it. But as I started to get more and more financial self-control, I said, okay, I'm only going to put in my 401k what my employer will match. And then I put the rest of my savings toward an emergency emergency fund, which for me looked like six months of my living expenses. So I built a budget. I really calculated my living expenses. So I knew exactly how much I needed to survive for a, a month. And then I multiplied that by six. And that was my emergency fund goal. Okay, so I wanted six months of living expenses. So if I lost my job or I wanted a break or whatever, I knew I had six months that I could live at my exact same standard of living and I would be totally fine. So that was my sort of focus in 2013. So 2014, once I hit my emergency fund goal, I invested in other assets that unlike my 401k, I could access whenever. So where I started in 2014, I started with the stock market. And I don't pick my own stocks. I don't have time for that. I don't have interest in that. I found a fiduciary who will do it for me. And that word is important. A fiduciary is someone who is legally obligated to act in your best interest and not their own. So I found a fiduciary. From my research, most of them charge about the same. No one has a magic eight ball. I don't believe that like one is going to do significantly better than the other. I looked more for um, someone who kind of had values and, and similar values to me and a, a portal that was easy for me to use and an app that I could easily access. So those are kind of things that I looked, looked for. But I invested in the stock market as much as I could once I hit my emergency fund goal. And 
the important thing here is unlike my 401k, I could access this money whenever I wanted. So I had the emergency fund for my emergency stuff. And then if I needed extra money, I could just pull it out of my stock market investments, which I don't really recommend you sell investments to pay for stuff. I I really more recommend you keep your expenses low and live within your means. But what I'm saying is if you need the money, it's there in the stock market. With the 401k, you can't really get it unless you want to pay a big penalty fine. So that's what I was really focused on in 2014. Another thing I focused on was I actually found a higher paying job and I negotiated a 17% raise. So I was, this is the first time I was like very intentional about asking for a raise using data to back my ask. And uh, it worked out really well. Another thing is that I got to move back to Austin with this job. That was really what I was looking for. So in the end, you know, money is a tool to help expand your happiness. And I knew in my heart, I wanted to go back to Austin. So I looked for a job in Austin and I looked for a higher paying job that would allow me again, to move to Austin, but then also a a, a lifestyle I wanted when I moved back to Austin. In 2015, I really focused on just building my credit. I use credit cards. I believe in credit cards. If you know how to use them right, there are great points that you can get, perks that you can get from them, but also it's necessary to have credit if you want to, say, buy a house, for example, without having to come up with hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it. So I focused on building my credit, built it to the high 700s, and then I did exactly that. I bought a house that was very much within my means just outside of Austin. So that's important because I know it's really tempting to buy like the really fancy house right in the middle of the city. And, you know, unfortunately, a lot of loan providers will give you a loan for that. And I say unfortunately because usually it's not in your best interest. So definitely recommend if you're going to buy a house, buy something within your means Trust me, I've had a big house. It's not fun to clean. It's not fun to maintain. Like, just get the small house. Really, truly do that. So that was 2015. 2016, I started playing with the idea of starting a business. As a fun fact, my very first idea was actually a clean pet food company called the Texas Gourmet Pet Pantry. So I just found that in one of my journals the other day, which was kind of fun. And in 2016, I also celebrated a great milestone of paying off all my student loans. So besides our mortgage, we are officially debt-free in 2016, which is an amazing feeling. And I got engaged. So I got engaged to my person, Corey. He's one of the big reasons I moved back to Austin. And uh, I got engaged. And as another fun fact, my ring is lab-grown. It tests as real, but I think Corey paid like $1,000 for it. Nothing much at all. And my personal opinion is the ring doesn't make the marriage. So just, you know, I'm, I'm honestly very open about the fact that my ring is lab grown. And I hope that more people use this approach as well, because spending thousands and thousands of dollars on a ring, you know, the industry tells you that that's what's necessary or that's what love is or whatever. But in my experience, that is not at all the case. You can have a perfectly healthy, wonderful love without like a really big fancy rock. Okay. So 2017, got married. We did it at our dear friend Spencer's house. We did, it was like a DIY wedding. We did it all ourselves. I was the wedding planner. Um, I actually, if you have a wedding coming up or you know someone who does, I have a whole wedding template pack that I will link to in the show notes, jessicatoller.com slash 015. So if you're interested in using my templates, um, planning a wedding, it's a lot. Okay, it is. 
And I definitely see the draw of hiring a, a wedding planner, but you can save a lot of money. So we spent 40% less than the Austin average for weddings that year. So almost half. And even doing it ourselves, it was expensive. So definitely, uh, definitely think about doing it yourself. I've got templates that can help you. And another thing that happened in 2017 is that Corey began dabbling in crypto, which I know I need to dive more into. I think that's really hot right now. I will share my opinion on crypto in another episode. Um, I'm looking forward to digging more into that, especially because crypto is one of the big reasons we moved to El Salvador. So 2017, that is where our cryptocurrency story begins. In 2018, we like to say we quote unquote retired Corey from a job that he did not love so that he could work on his passion. So that was sort of something exciting that happened in 2018. He, we were at a place financially where we were able to say, okay, like we can survive on my income while you build your business. So he started his sports supplement company and his health coaching company. So if that's something you're interested in learning more about, let me know. That was 2018, 2019. I found another higher paying job negotiating a 33% raise this time. So as I got more intentional about using data to back my salary asks, the raises I saw were increasing. Like I said, the first time I did this, I got a 17% raise. So I almost doubled that. This time I got a 33% raise. So I have information on how you can do that as well. It's my free resources, jessicatoller.com slash learn dash with dash Jess. So I'll link to all of this in the show notes. So that was another big thing that happened in 2019. So we hit a key income milestone with that raise and we ended up buying my childhood home from my parents because they were retiring and they were thinking of selling it. And like, for some reason that struck an emotional chord with me. So Corey and I talked and we decided that we would buy the house from my parents. We did receive a discount. We received a 15% discount, but we did not get this house for free. So we moved into that new house. Once they, they moved out, they moved into their retirement house. We moved into the house that I grew up in. And then we turned our other house, the first one that we had bought just outside of Austin, we turned it into an investment property. So that was in 2019, 2020. I incorporated this business. It's crazy to even think about that. Three years ago, I incorporated this business. So I made this thing legal. And that is obviously when the global pandemic began. So we shifted our investment property. We were were doing Airbnb at first, and then we shifted it to long-term tenants at the beginning of that year, thank God. And we had that income coming from that house. In 2020, I started dabbling in crypto alongside Corey who is way more advanced than I am in crypto. But 2020 is when I finally, the light bulb came on for me. I get it. I believe in it. That was 2020. 2021, I retired from my career to pursue this work that just feeds my soul. And here's the Easter egg, okay? This is where the Goodbye July podcast actually gets its name. So my last day in corporate America was July 31st of 2021, the last day of July. So goodbye July is an ode to not only the last day of July moving on to August, but really a huge turning of a page, starting a new chapter in my life of no longer working for corporate America and receiving income from an employer, but financially being able to provide for myself through my investments and then 
income from our, our businesses. But really, the majority of what we live on is from the different investments that we've made. We do make income, of course, from our businesses. It is not like relative to the investments, it is not much. Okay. But this was a huge moment for me. And I felt like the name Goodbye July really spoke to, in my life, the financial freedom that I had been working for for so long. So Goodbye July, Goodbye Corporate America, moving on to working on my passion projects and building the dream life that I always knew that I wanted. So also what happened in 2021 is we dug deeper into crypto, we actually went to a conference called Bitcoin Miami. And when we were there, we heard the news that El Salvador would be the first country in the world to legalize Bitcoin as a legal tender, which means that you can go to any any store. Theoretically, you could go to any store and you could pay in their local currency or you could pay in Bitcoin legally. Okay. So that's a really big deal. First in the world to do that. So once we heard that, we decided that we wanted to travel to El Salvador. So we went three times in the year of 2021. In 2022, we sold our very first house, the one that we bought outside of Austin, because we wanted to take advantage of what's informally known of as the two out of the last five tax rules. So currently, what this rule says is if you live in a house as your primary, or if you live in any any building or whatever, as your primary residence for two of the last five years, you are allowed to sell that property and not pay taxes. Okay. This was a huge learning for us. We did not know about this before. We only had heard of, there's something called the 1031 exchange, which is more common. People, more people know about that. And what that says is that if you sell a property, you have to reinvest the money within, I think it's like I don't know, 90 days or there's some time period where you have to reinvest the money so that you don't have to pay taxes. But really with that, you're kind of just kicking your tax burden down the road. You're not actually avoiding taxes. But with the two out of the last five tax rule, and I don't know the official name of it, but informally it's called the two out of the last five. You do not have to pay taxes. If you live in that that property as your primary residence for two of the last five years, you do not have to pay taxes. So that is why we decided to sell that house because we had, we had lived in it. It was our first home. And then we turned it into an investment property for about three years. And then had we not sold it by the summer of 2022, we would no longer qualify for that tax rule. So that is the driving factor for why we decided to sell that house. So we avoided capital gains tax. Okay. We ultimately turned 104% profit. So we sold the house for about two times what we paid for it. And then we reinvested that money into other assets, one of which is our house here in El Salvador. So that was kind of the spring summer of 2022. And then by the end of the year, we, well, really most of, most of that summer we focused, we went back to Austin and we focused on turning our Austin house into a investment property, a rental property. It is now renting on short-term rentals. We might do long-term rentals with it soon. We're not sure. We're still feeling that out. And then at the end of the year, that's when we picked up and we actually moved down here to El Salvador. So living in El Salvador now, we have the house in Austin rented, generating cash flow. And in a nutshell, that that is my story. That is, you know, where I came from, where I've been, where I'm at, where I'm going is currently we, like I said, we're living here in El Salvador. Corey spends most of his time working on improving this house. He's done a beautiful job. He's put in shelving from local wood. He's built a bamboo gate. He's planted new plants. He's been 
coordinating painting. He's it's it's amazing the work that he's doing. So he's really focused on that, and then also looking for the next steps. What he's going to do with his supplement business. He's focused on his health coaching. Like I said, if you're interested in that, I would love to connect you to. And I've been spending a lot of my time building out this business and working on new offers like my free workshop, which I want to tell you about as a next step. And really just digging down into and what this means and helping more people, as many people as I can, trying to scale this thing, trying to get my prices low enough for people who want help with their finances to be able to, to take advantage of that. So that's really where we're at now. I think eventually we're going to turn this house into an investment property as well. We have some rooms that we don't use. We're thinking of putting those rooms maybe on short-term rental or maybe renting this house out when we're in Austin and then renting the Austin house out while we're here. We don't know really what our plan is long-term in terms of where we're going to live, but for the foreseeable future, for the next kind of three to six months, I think we'll be hanging out here in El Salvador, learning Spanish and working on our lives here, really just learning how to kind of slow down and, and live more and work less. So, um, this doesn't count as work for me, by the way, I love doing this stuff. So now, now you have it. There's my story. There is the background of where the goodbye July podcast got its name. And as a next step, like I said, I would love to see you. I just launched a brand new free wealth workshop, and I would love to see you on my next one. If you would like to learn more about that, go to jessicatoller.com slash free workshop, or I'll link to it in the show notes at jessicatoller.com slash 015. would love to see you on that workshop. It's called the three secrets to building lasting wealth, plus the single most important step to cracking the financial code. So if you show up on time, you're going to get a, a quick win right at the gate. Then you're going to hear the three secrets to building lasting wealth, which they're, they're simple, they're doable, everyone can do them, but they are elusive, but they are important. And then if you stick around till the end, you'll get the single most important step to cracking the financial code, which when I tell you what it is, you're going to be like, that seems obvious, but it really, it really isn't. And it is the most important thing that you could possibly do to build lasting wealth. Also, if you stay till the end, I'll give you a freebie. So join me. I have three sessions currently running. Go to the link, jessicatoller.com slash free workshop to check them out. I hope to see you there. Really hope you guys enjoyed this episode, learning my story, learning the namesake of the Goodbye July podcast. And until next time, work less, live more, and keep on chasing your wildest dreams. Congratulations on finishing another episode of the Goodbye July podcast. If you want more, head over to jessicatoller.com slash podcast for show notes and any resources mentioned in today's episode. Don't forget to rate the show, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share it with a friend. I believe in a world where we're all financially free, so let's help each other get there. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Goodbye July podcast.